Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Patriot One Technologies, whose mission is to deliver innovative threat detection and counterterrorism solutions for safer communities. Patriot One's PatScan multi-sensor covert threat detection platform identifies and reports weapons and threats wherever required, from car park to building approach, from employee and public entryways to inside facilities. Learn more at PatriotOneTech.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Franker, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am so honored to have someone I've been following for quite a while join us virtually from Ottawa. Superintendent Isabel Granger is a mover and a shaker, to say the least. There is so much to say about this phenomenal leader, I don't even know where to start. But I'm going to try to give you some key points to kick things off. She is Ottawa's first Black superintendent. In fact, she is the highest ranking senior Black female officer in Canada, following the retirement of Peel Regional Police Deputy Chief Ingrid Berkeley brown uh, who retired earlier this year. In 2018, she was the Ottawa Police Service's first Black woman to be promoted to the rank of inspector. And now, as superintendent, she is leading the service's new Respect, Values, and Inclusion Directorate. The RVI Directorate addresses the major concerns raised by both OPS members and Ottawa community members for a more progressive and inclusive police service. Isabel also recently published her book, Smashing the Glass Ceiling, and she is the recipient of numerous awards, including the 2017 Harry Jerome National Award for Public Advocacy. In 2015, she was inducted as a member of the Order of Merit of the Police Forces. In a news release, Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly noted her recent promotion recognizes her long-standing and ongoing contributions to policing and community policing locally, nationally, and internationally. He also pointed to her great respect in the local community. But that's not all. She also successfully lobbied the federal government, leading to the introduction of a private member's bill, C-217, which called for the extraction of blood samples for the benefit of persons administering and enforcing the law and Good Samaritans. She was recognized in the House of Commons in 2001 for going above and beyond the call of duty and was deployed to Cambodia in 2015 to assist with investigations into crimes against humanity. These are just a few notes among her many achievements. As such, I am truly thrilled to introduce you to Superintendent Granger. Isabel, thank you so much for your time and for virtually joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to start with, you know, a big congratulations on your recent promotion um, and, and leading this new directorate at Ottawa Police Service. So let's, let's just start with that. How, how has it all been? I, I can only imagine it's been extremely busy, especially, you know, with the we're on the heels of this pandemic's peak and, and with all the um, movement and uh, peaceful protests going on right now in the, the wake of the George Floyd um, tragedy. So, so tell me, how has it all been going? It's uh, been a, a, an incredibly uh, intense few weeks and uh, it just feels like, uh, and I know a lot of people think the same way, it feels like we have entered into another paradigm shift. So it's been, uh, and you know what, that comes a lot of discomfort a lot of good um, growth is painful, but I think it's necessary. I completely agree with you. The, and, you know, the RBI, um, it, it's 
tackling a lot of these issues. So, so tell me what the RVI means to you. You know, what what are you most looking forward to about this this new opportunity here? I'm excited about it because uh, I, I, I've done a lot of this work in in the work I've done locally and internationally, where you're going and tack, uh, tackling a specific uh, uh, issue in one of the areas. So RVI is respect, uh, values, and inclusion, but that covers. Uh, it's an umbrella for the, our equity, diversity, and inclusion strategy, as well as for uh, respect, ethics, and values, which is, uh, uh, you know, on the values part of uh, the behavior, behavior of, of police officers within the organization. I've worked on on, issue, on uh, initiatives before where it's, it's uh, you know, gender is a standalone or, or diversity is a standalone. The, within RBI, these standalone as pillars within RBI, so they're not, None of them are predatory to each other. They all st- they they stand alone, and so what this ensures is there's no um, there's no we reduce the uh, the risk of uh, things falling through the cracks. And mm. uh, I can share with you in terms of the way I look at it because I use a lot of metaphors. Yeah, I find that people people understand better when you say that. So I was asked by a fellow superintendent recently, why would the chief build out the office of the chief first before other priorities within the organization. So I said, uh, if you use the metaphor of a house, if you're going to build a house, the first thing that's necessary to build is a foundation. So um, our foundation in policing or at the Arab Police Service is that uh, we, it's our foundation, it, we, it, it's built on the, uh, uh, it's made up of our, of our values and uh, uh, what we believe in, uh, as well as um, the ethics and accountability and all that. So that's, that's, we we state that we build our foundation stating this is who we are, this is what we believe, and this is how we police. That's the foundation. So as the office of the chief, because uh, this is a part of the office of the chief, um, when that foundation is is is, uh, is set, then you then you you uh, when you bring in performance measurement, you bring in, we have our planning, performance, and analytics who come in and they look at the foundation and they they you know they analyze it to make sure there's there's nothing missing, and then we begin to build our house, which is okay. One of the we build the structure of our house, and then um, you know the overarching the roof is the accountability, which some of it is internal accountability, some of it is external accountability. But so who we are, we operate inside of our house. Then we go outside into the community. So if our values internally are intact, and if we have a shared values, common values, and even our leadership uh, uh, working from a, a common uh, you know common ground, or, or we have a shared purpose then the service that we provide in, at the community will be uh, more value-based than it will be, you know, because I, I honestly believe that uh, what happens out there is, is a clearly linked to what's happening eternally. So we have mm-hmm. to make sure that our house is sound before we go out there and police. Oh, wow. I completely agree. Yeah, that that's sto- that solid stone foundation, you know, unshakable and, and knowing where you stand and, and what those values are. So very, very well said. I, I like that metaphor. Thanks for sharing. So your your career trajectory yourself it's unique it's full of accolades it's and you you certainly you know persevered through some difficult challenges to get to where you are today I was I was looking on your website earlier and I was I was so um moved by that story from your childhood where one teacher told you you know don't ever let anyone put you behind the curtain again um yeah. so along those lines you know tell me let's start at the beginning I guess of of your career tell me why you wanted to begin a career in law enforcement, I mean, which you did um, back in Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, where you grew up at just the age of 19, you're so young. So 
I know you, you write, to, you know, you did it to make a point. So I, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, I think the seed was planted when I was about seven or eight years old. I remember uh, a police officer came to my, a white police officer came to our door looking for directions. And so my mother went to the front door and I was standing near my mother and he was asking for directions and she was attempting to, to uh, direct him to where he wanted to go. And so I piped in, I, can, I know exactly where that is, but he was so flippant with me and so dismissive. And even the way that he spoke with my mother, it didn't feel good. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be a police officer one day and I'm going to treat people better than he's treating us. And that was, uh, you know, under I was under 10. I was a, a little girl. Wow. I never thought about it for, for many, many years. And then um, one day at the age of, just before my 20th birthday, I saw this big ad in the in the Bilal Citizen newspaper with a good-looking police officer on the, the front page of the city section of uh, City News. And uh, it was an ad saying, if you want a career with a difference, join the British South Africa police. So I knew at that time they didn't hire people of mixed race. You know, as a black person, you could join as a constable and your highest rank would be sub-inspector. As a white person, you would join as a patrol officer and then you could you could go up to commission of police. But a, a black police officer with even 25 years uh, experience would report to a constable, of, uh, sorry, a patrol officer of one day, a white patrol officer of one day. So there were there were two rank structures and they were layered. Uh, with the white rank structure at the top and the black rank structure uh, structure at the bottom. But for people who were uh, mixed race, you were not allowed to apply. So I applied knowing that when they received my application, they would just assume I was white because my father's last name is uh, is white sounding. And, and I think they did because when I went to my interview, my first interview, they did get a shock. And it's, it's a long, funny story, but uh, I remember mm-hmm. saying when the, the chief inspector looking at me and saying, well, why would you apply? We don't hire colors, which is what they call us. And I said, well, I don't see what there is as that a, a white girl can do that I can't do. And I took it as an invitation for the discussion. So I actually had a, a really healthy debate with him. He was, he was actually very respectful, but he, he proceeded to tell me all the reasons why people from my community were not a good fit for the police because... We, uh, you know, we, we, we get into fights and we drank a lot of beer and what have you, and which was totally, totally misrepresentation of, of who we were. And I, and I challenged him, saying, it's not fair to judge a, an entire community based on the behavior of a few. And, and I said, well, and while we at it, I see that the police women, the white police women, they, they don't do much in the way of operations. Like they wear dresses and, you know, and shoes with the, with the heel, and they don't, uh, they're not as operational as the men. I don't see why they couldn't be. So I had that debate, and when I, when I left, I, I didn't think I'd ever get called back because they'd, I knew they didn't hire people from my community, but I had said what I needed to say. And then when they began to call me back for interview after interview and going through that process, the, uh, you know, the testing, all the testing, I, I just thought they were drawing a line in the sand. So I thought, well, you know, I'm just, you're gonna, you will eliminate me before I eliminate myself. Mm. My my life's been about that, so I've I've always uh, been made sure I'm responsible for the way I show up, and uh, you know I I don't self eliminate. Uh, if I if I go after something, they'll tell me I don't fit. And even when sometimes even when a door is closed on me, I don't look at a closed door as a, uh, a total rejection. Sometimes a closed door appears to be uh, to be shut, but sometimes if you turn the handle, it just opens. Mm. 
But sometimes, uh, they, you know, when, when, I, when I come across a door that's absolutely closed to me, I don't say, oh, well, it's closed, I'm going home. I'll say, well, I'll ask the question, uh, what opportunity does this closed door uh, prevent? And when you ask yourself uh, good questions, you, we, we wired to actually be creative, to create good answers. And so it, it, it opens up opportunities and, you know, for, for being creative. So sometimes when I ask that question, I'll find a window somewhere. It's better for me to take that window because the growing process through getting into that space is actually might be intense, but the learning that goes with you is really, really uh, beneficial. So I end up here, and, I, and I, a friend just came by now, and she says, I'm really impressed with what you achieved. And I, I don't look at it that way because I just look at it that I've been really fortunate and I've, I've been able to work on different initiatives in different countries and all. But it's because of my early conditioning is to not self-eliminate. A lot of women do. Yeah. Yeah, and well, that and even brings me to your book, right? Smashing the the glass ceiling. Which, congrats again on that. I know you were set to have, a, I think, a, a book launch party back in March. Uh, did that happen, or did the pandemic yes, kind of close that happened down? On, it happened on International Women's Day, but I was oh, I was amazing. able to do a, a series of activities in in May and June, but uh, because of the pandemic, um, all that is put on hold. Oh yeah. Which, okay. which again, I ask, uh, what opportunity does that? Event and there's been a lot of, uh, of opportunities coming up on that are linked, but not the path that I thought I'd be going on. So um, I'm exploring those. Beautiful, yeah. And, and I mean, people at least can they can still order your book online, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So I'll link to the website on on this uh, article later uh, when we get this podcast live to let people know where they can get a copy because uh, I believe that's that's quite the story and and you're living proof, you know, of that perseverance, like you said, just uh, either carving your own door, carving your own window, but um, not giving up. So I, I love that. What about once you you made it to Ottawa, Ottawa Police Service? What did you bring from the British South Africa Police that uh, you find yourself using in Ottawa or or adding to in Ottawa? There's a number of things that I realized after the fact that my experience with the British South Africa Police had uh, uh, prepared me for here. There's nothing to compare with gate crashing in a system that uh, was totally close to you in in an oppressive, segregated environment. So uh, it actually helps it to condition you. It's, uh, from In many respects, uh, resilience, dealing with issues that are so incredibly complex. And, I mean, I was a police officer at, at that young age during the Civil War. I saw more death than I cared to even talk about and uh, uh, just lost friends during the Civil War and all that. But, but you know, it conditioned me to, to, to I'm very appreciative of life. And, I, and it really, I love policing and I... I care deeply for the people that I work with, even some who don't care about me. But as well as when I'm navigating my space at work, when I'm showing up, I know when I show up, but sometimes I know when I walk in the door, what walks in first to the people inside that room, they see maybe the color and they see that I'm a woman and a small stature and all that. So I, I always hope that by the time the filters and the lenses are you know, adjust for them to see me the way they see me after they've gone through all those different levels. I'm hoping that they can still hear my voice. And sometimes they can't. So I've got to find a way of uh, amplifying my voice so that I can be heard in a way that actually doesn't leave their backs up against the wall. So it's, I've learned to navigate. And I find that most of the people that I've, I've, I've come across at work, even the ones that are most opposed to me, when you really look past the facade, they are really good people, a lot of them. 
who um, sometimes they're afraid of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So then it's navigating. How do I navigate that? And so the, one of the reasons that I, I love to coach women is because for women, even though we've been in policing now for a number of years, it's still traditionally a male-dominated environment. So uh, so what what I'll do when I'm coaching a, a, or mentoring a, a woman is is uh, you know examining how they are showing up in their workspace. And and one of the things is, is saying to them, you you can actually show up in a way that you, um, you're not uh, giving away pieces of yourself, going through the masculinization process, giving away pieces of yourself. Because when you give away pieces of yourself, one day you wake up and you're feeling, uh, at, uh, you know, this ease, and you don't know what's wrong, but you, when you look, you don't even know who you are. So, you know, my, uh, when I mentor, I, I uh, look at how do I show up, still be the woman that I know I am, and uh, be taken seriously by these, these people that I work with, and um, still remain being my authentic self. And I, I, I still remember at the age of 20 saying to myself, I'm going to be a police officer, but I am a woman, and I am, you know, I'm first and foremost, I'm Isabel, and I don't want to be anyone else but Isabel. Be- policing is something I love to do, and it, it cannot become me, because when it takes away from who I am, then uh, it, it's me. That's why my book says uh, creating a great life, uh, you know, using the power of your story. Because I think when people are becoming, looking at becoming, whoever they want, they're looking at becoming, a lot of times they give away pieces of themselves, but also they they put aside their personal story. And I think your story is the foundation of who you become. That is so powerful. And I mean, there's so much I can unpack there. You know, I'm I'm thinking of Michelle Obama's uh, book and and the documentary Becoming on Netflix. And I'm thinking of of how it makes people stand out when they're able to maintain that really strong sense of who they are and, and separate that from, you know, their, their professional work and, and, and policing, but also um, merge them in times where, where they need to be merged, right, uh, to draw strength Absolutely. from that. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. beautiful way of looking at it. And it's a lifelong journey, a lifelong commitment to, to do that and to, to live authentically, and, and you've definitely been doing that. So kudos to you. Thank you. This might be a difficult question for you, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. I, I'm curious about your, your most memorable moment in policing thus far. Um, do you have one? I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I've, had, I've had several of, of them, you know, and I, and I don't like to say one is more memorable than the other, but mm-hmm. uh, when I began to lobby to get a law passed to support uh, first responders, and I know there was a Blue Line uh, um, article here many years ago. We had a front-page picture on there. I'm very proud of that. But I still remember standing in the observation gallery in the House of Commons, and the member, Chuck Straw, who I partnered with in lobbying for this law, when uh, uh, the House of Commons unanimously voted to send this, this uh, issue to bypass the process and send it directly to the Justice Committee for debate because they... They deemed it a, a valuable and worthwhile issue, and 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 it was important, and it was um, it was across all parties, and uh, there was wild applause, and and I still remember Chuck Stroll looking up at me, and and uh, his tears streaming down his face, and and he think you know he's motioning me to come downstairs and tell him no, I can't come down there because you know we're not allowed down there. So he came up, and and I met him halfway, and and he just hugged me, and he said, Isabel, I learned a very important lesson with this uh, lobbying for the story that. When it's a human issue, you have to introduce the human uh, element. And because my story had become, uh, it formed the nucleus for an entire debate in the House of Commons. And um, and I stood there and I, I realized that uh, I have always known that this has not never been about me. 
It's never been about me. It's always been about the greater purpose. And so I, I really subscribe to that notion that uh, Nelson Mandela talks about uh, in, in my other language. We call it Ubuntu, which means the humanness of us, which means that um, I am because we are. Without you, I don't exist. How can I exist without, without you? So whatever I do, I'm doing so that it makes us better, not me better. That community that's, part, again, comes into play, oh, yeah. right? And that's why it's you're true. doing what you're doing. You know, we, we've talked a lot about um, the police conversation right now that's happening, uh, and there's talks of police reform and whatnot. So I'm curious, over the last, you know, uh, well, over your experience, uh, over the years in Canadian policing, you know, what's been the most maybe positive change that you've witnessed well, I, you know, I'm, I'm one that watches trends and changes and all, and I, I've, uh, you know, I felt, you know, if you look at this, the very sad event, uh, you know, with the, the George Floyd death, there have been many, many people who have gone through similar experiences, but this one, this one has been, it's just been that one. It's, it's Rosa Parks wasn't the only person that, that sat down to, in order to stand up. But she was, that hers was the the one that actually became the pivotal moment. George Floyd's one is the pivotal moment. Stephen Lawrence in, in the United Kingdom, in, in England, was the pivotal moment in, in the paradigm shift in policing. But I think this one actually hit home at the heart of every person. And uh, um, so when I, I went to the uh, to the march the other day, at um, which was in Ottawa, and uh, I didn't walk with the march. I walked alongside it because I was observing and what I saw was people of all races, of all ages, of all backgrounds coming together in a united voice saying we want different. I don't believe they know what different is right now, yet, yet, or, mm-hmm. or how it will look, you know, but they want different and they realize. And, and I was talking to it, uh, you know, I was on a panel on Saturday and, and the organizer of the panel and I were talking and I said to her, listen, I, I, I think that we have an opportunity and we have, you know, momentum to actually effect positive change and, and values and, and, and uh, making sure that, um, you know, uh, we take, it takes us to a better place. I think we can. I think we have to avoid staying in that revolving door where we um, we acknowledging the values of what we're feeling and, and that uh, some, of the, some of our practices need to change and some of our approaches need to change and really break out into the, uh, to implementing um, positive change. But that wow. will take a considered effort. So I said to her, I said, uh, you know, I have an idea which um, I don't know if I should even share it here, but I have an idea that's been playing in my mind about how we can do this. And so we actually, and she got excited about it and we, we want to come together. But I think whatever it is, it has to be inclusive. Yeah. It has to be inclusive. I, I came from an, an exclusive environment where we were segregated. And what I've learned is that you cannot leave uh, growth, true growth, in an, in a, an environment where an exclusive environment, it has loses. Wow. And, you know, like you said, inclusion and that uh, being included in this, this future discussion, that is already on, you know, uh, this, this new directorate's plate, right? It's, it's in the title. Yes. So I think we're, we're really making good progress getting to those conversations that we need to have. They're, they're happening. So um, yes. that's, that's where I take heart from. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she wow. slowly is a, is a visionary. Is a, is a, when, when, uh, when I found out what his vision was for the RVI, it was, I was happily dancing because uh, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's unprecedented 
he's a thought leader who has his finger on the pulse of, of change, and he, he reads trends and he analyzes. He, I, I, without you know having asked him or heard, I know that he's a well-read. He's very well-read. And he's, he's not only reading local, he's reading internationally. I think that we have to think globally, even though we're operating locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is interesting now, too, right, um, at this time where most of us travel for most of us has come to a complete halt. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what this future of our, our global village will look like. But but you've long been passionate about the global village. I, I know you've um, been committed to peace work around the world. You've, you're on the Justice Rapid Response Roaster, uh, Rooster, uh, United Nations Women's Initiative, um, as one of the 42 people from around the world who are, are qualified to investigate war crimes related to sexual uh, gender-based violence at the international level. That is so amazing. And I, I would like to know a, a little bit more about that passion um, and, and, you know, the the commitment from you to extend your service far beyond your local community. Um, you know, why, why is international work so so important to you? And, and perhaps you can share with us how it's been um, transformative for, for your policing at, at a more local level. Well, I, it's in the same, co- it's the same concept as when I said earlier that um, I, I, I firmly believe that what happens on the inside uh, on the outside is a direct relation to what's happening on the inside. If you look at the the, the local context, what's happening locally is directly related to what's happening uh, internationally. So I think police uh, organizations have to have a finger on the pulse of what's happening in other places. And we also have to get involved in uh, the capacity building aspect of uh, international peace. I've, I've always believed that uh, what we do um, echoes it echoes far beyond our borders. I mean, I was speaking to a, a, a group of women in, in Sudan in, uh, a few years ago on, on a capacity building initiative, and they said, you know what, we, we look at you, our sisters, our police officer sisters in Canada and the United States and the Western world, because we know when you move the needle a little bit ahead, we, ours moves too. So when, we, when we're looking at moving, uh, you know, for instance, we have to look beyond our local uh, experience and look, at, uh, look beyond that. I love that when I go to, uh, uh, you know, when I'm in Bolivia, the women there are saying, oh, you, you must be one of us. You have to be one of us because we think the same, we are the same, we, we like the same things. And, all. and I go to Sudan, they say the same. I go to Kenya, they say, oh, you're definitely one of us. In fact, you look like one of our ministers. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the, it, 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 it's, um, and even the Ukraine, I love the Ukraine. I think the, the framework or the uh, blueprint for for women uh, globally is the, is, is, is the same. It's just different context. But I think when you look at when we break it down to our experiences, there's so much that's that, uh, in common. So for, for me, sometimes you resolve an issue, you, you're sitting with a, around the table with uh, 50 people from 30 countries and you're talking about uh, gender reform. And then we look at each other and say, well, we're looking at uh, um, developing a, a strategy for integrating gender into all all levels of, of uh, the security sector in, in post-conflict. But what's happening at home? Oh, yeah, mm. we, have, we have issues at home, too. So, you know, as you're giving, you're you are getting as well. So, wow. it, it, yeah, it, it really helps you to, be to, to look at things from a, a more global perspective. Beautiful. And it's like you, you said earlier in this conversation, too, that, that human component that, that can really join us in, in tackling problems, right? That's where the, the innovation comes from, from everybody's stories and, and really um, drawing on our similarities, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. If you mm-hmm. look at, uh, I was reading recently uh, 
I can't remember which uh, um, publication it was, but they did a, an article on uh, the countries who had the best response to uh, the pandemic. And uh, the, the top leaders to the strategy were women. Yes. And my, I absolutely have the highest regard for the New Zealand Prime Minister. I think that uh, she is a visionary beyond. I, so I would like to see somebody like her and somebody like uh, Peter Slowly and uh, other other thought leaders like, uh, 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 you know, the, the chief of uh, appeal, mm. you know, um, Dale, Dale McPhee in Edmonton, um, the chief of Calgary and other. I'd like to see them get together and change the face of policing. And there's uh, there's a lot more than the ones I just called out, but I'd like to, to you know, and, and, and to, to integrate the, the gender perspective because when a voice is missing at the table, you cannot uh, provide a, a 360 approach to any problem. You you have yeah. to you have to yeah you cannot provide the best strategy. It's not the best strategy. When you're missing a voice, you you you're missing the mark. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah and you're not representing the, the community fully, right? Then that's no, you know there's holes in your your um your problem solving for sure. And, and you know even just uh, I'm just thinking back to Sergeant David Jones' uh, presentation he made. He's an Edmonton police uh, sergeant. Um, about women being included in policing and um, how that changes the use of force stats, right? Because women as officers have different tactics for de-escalation and, and yeah, we can draw on that. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many positives. Exactly, exactly. Well, well, with that in mind, you know, I'm curious, do you have any other pieces of advice, um, maybe little tidbits that you would offer to someone uh, a young woman looking to climb the ladder, you know, in, in policing and law enforcement and really take out those those feelings? Well, the first, the first thing, like I said earlier, is that whatever you do, do not give away pieces of yourself. Because when you, uh, if you give away pieces of yourself, you get, you, once you give away the first piece, the second and the third and all, it, it, much, it gets, it gets uh, easier and, and, it, and, it, and soon you become a distortion of who, you, who you're supposed to be. And then when you get to a place where you're wondering why, why things are not working out and you're trying to find out who you are, it's really difficult to make your way back. And another one that I always use is, uh, you know, if you're going up the ladder, don't pull the ladder up behind you. Leave it in a place for others to climb. And as my friend uh, Debbie Miller says, uh, you know, build other ladders, you know, so there are more ladders to climb up. Because often what happens with women, because we strive so hard to, to get to that place, when women are looking up to where the woman is, they they fighting for that space where that woman is. Instead of, instead of looking at it, that you know, that's not the only place around the table. There are twelve places around the table, so I don't have to fight for that one place. I'm I'm I, I'm competing for all the positions, and then and also for for the, the 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 woman who's up there. Just because you fought hard to get there doesn't mean that you've earned the right to to be exclusive. Because sometimes they'll say, well, I I, I had to fight to get here, so you fight too. No. Imagine if the people that created the, the 401 said uh, that, that built the 401 said, well, you know what, we lost the government, people building that highway and all that, so we're going to put, uh, uh, you know, barriers along the way so you can strive to get from point A to point B. We'd never get anywhere. But mm-hmm. what they did is they created the highway, so everybody takes that highway and they get to where they're going quicker. And and what that does is that it actually helps us to, to keep getting better, to keep changing and keep evolving the way that we should. But oftentimes we don't evolve the way we should because people, uh, they, they achieve something and then they, put, they create a barrier to others accessing what it is so that, uh, because they, they feel that they've earned the right to do that. It, it's a privilege to be able to, for me to, 
even now, you know, having achieved uh, the, the, my recent rank of superintendent, it's a privilege for me now to be able to look around and say, listen, now that I'm, I'm all this, this way up the ladder, I can actually look across my organization now and, and see further and, and, you know, get a better look at, you know, where the gaps are and be the uh, enabler, uh, help, you know, uh, help to create spaces, to create, to create opportunities and all that. It's not about me. It's never been about me. And you know what? Oh. When you walk out of the front door for the last time, I want to walk out and say to myself, you know, I, I didn't achieve everything I could have, but damn, I gave it my best shot. And, and that is the people that you've actually helped along the way. That is the key right there, right That's there. The key. And I love how you said it's not about me, which I, which I think is, is a difficult conversation, you know, if I'm being honest, for a lot of people to have, especially in our industry. It's not about me. It's that, that ego really, you, oh, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's a barrier. The ego is a barrier. And if you can, you can start there and, and really um, navigate and manage and, um, I guess, just kind of control that, that ego and, and see it for what it is, uh, that, that will open up more doors and, and hopefully oh, like totally you said, builders. Yeah, beautiful. It oh, totally I love does. that. Well, Superintendent, we are at the end of our conversation, believe it or not. I've got one uh, question. I, if you've caught any of our previous episodes, we, we always end each one with kind of this, this these fun questions to give listeners more of a, an inside scoop, if you will, about your personality. So with uh-huh. that being said, I hope you're ready for this. So, so what is something your fellow officers might not know about you? Hmm. Well, before I came to Canada, I was actually a professional singer, so I absolutely love music. I, uh, music is a language to me. It's a whole other language. Oh, I love that. And you know what? It is so important to be singing right now, even just for our own self-care, singing, dancing, wherever we can, right? Oh, and I love to dance, too. And, and, and you know what? Don't tell anyone this, but I, 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 love, I, I really like Elvis. That is hilarious. <laughs> You're kidding. I do, I do. Amazing. Well, you know what? My my confession is I also really like Elvis because I grew up listening to that with my dad in his old truck. <laughs> oh, return to sender? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I hear you. Very nice. All right. Well, well, what about one thing that you couldn't live with as someone in policing? I, it, and this is maybe a, a, it's part of that, uh, you know, the Ubuntu that I talked about a, you know, when I leave, every day when I leave my house, I, I'm a woman of faith, so my prayer is, please, God, today, everyone that I come across, let me leave something with them and uh, not, not, I could, it's hard for, it would be hard for me to live with knowing that I did something that caused pain to somebody else. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. I, I, it's profound. I, that's the biggest thing for me. You're someone that's always paying it forward. I, I can tell. I'm just uh, so honored that you made the time to chat with us today and connecting with us from afar safely. I, I am so excited to see what RBI gets up to, and I'm just going to be staying up to date and following you and, and all your adventures and uh, accomplishments. So thank you for making the time so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been nice yeah. talking to you. Stay safe out there. This episode is brought to you by Patriot One Technologies, whose mission is to deliver innovative threat detection and counterterrorism solutions for safer communities. Patriot One's PatScan multi-sensor covert threat detection platform identifies and reports weapons and threats wherever required, from car park to building approach, from employee and public entryways to inside facilities. Learn more at patriotonetech.com. 
Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. Thank you.